Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So today I get the uh, great question for the talk of answering, what difference does the resurrection make in our lives? I, I, I love Easter. I really have two holidays, right? Christmas and Easter. And I tell people this often, especially those outside of the church when we talk about holidays. And I was like, I got two. (laughs) I will participate in the other ones, but I really have two. And of course, the resurrection is, is it, right? But what does it really mean? What does it really mean in our lives today? And Peter... Chapter two, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, we are reminded of our identity. It says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't it just wonderful to be set apart? To be the poema of God? To be his beloved? But for some of us, me included, as I said earlier, I wonder what the message has, not just for you, but for me. Because this fact is all too often easily forgotten in our daily lives as we go about going to work, taking care of our home, our family, our pets. We're not living in this fact always, this identity of God's special possession. It's not always with us as we journey this fact that he has redeemed us on this cross, this reminder that he is our beloved, that we are his beloved, he is ours. As I was preparing for uh, the message today, for those that have heard me speak before, I love sharing my little personal stories. (laughs) Um, I I recall uh, when... A time that happened, a cool, interesting conversation that I had when I was in middle school. When I was 14, I was a part of the debate club. For those that know me personally, you're not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) What? Bridget wants to debate, right? (laughs) That's no surprise there. (laughs) And as a, as a, I've always been a pretty voracious reader, so. For me, it was such a blessing that my English teacher was the leader. And I would talk to him about a lot of things. And the more I talked to him, I realized that he was a believer too. So I was just stoked, right? My public school, my English teacher is a believer. So we would have lots of, you know, discussions (laughs) about scripture, about a lot of things. And one day, he, I used to wear a cross and uh, still have it, right? But, you know, wear it, wear it, don't wear it. But um, he had asked me 
why do you wear that cross? And I was so confused because, right, we had checked this box. <laughs> You're a believer. <laughs> okay. And he says, you know, when we lose loved ones, we don't carry around a picture of the casket. He's like, I don't, I don't like the cross because for me, he said, it's a tomb. Well, you know, unfortunately for him, but fortunately for the kingdom, I wasn't much different at 14 as I am now as I'm almost 40-year-old woman. <laughs> so I, I stood there and I looked at him, and I remember pulling on my backpack because I was a little nervous. It was my teacher. And I, I don't remember verbatim, but I remember essentially telling him, you know, tombs are for the dead. My God is alive. <laughs> and he and I can still remember his smirk, right? You know how we do to talk, oh, you'll get it one day. But as we're in this Lenten season, that's question, right? That memory came back to me. What difference does the resurrection mean for us today? The cross. But before we dive in, I want to discuss the difference that we Christians, the church, the body, are called to make. I, I, have, I have been on this journey to insert Jesus, not just in my middle school English class, in many places that I touch. And I work a lot. So for me to work outside of its, you know, the church, right, I believe that the church should still come in. So I had a great friend I used to work with, and we had a prayer group. And we would all, we would, we would, you know, it wasn't, it was like, psh, like oh, you, oh, you having trouble? Oh, are you a believer? Okay. We meet, yeah, 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 you can meet with us, right, right? So we would have this prayer group that wasn't fully blasted to everyone, but people would come and they get prayer, and we've always stayed in touch. So recently she reached out, and she was in despair, she needed to talk, she needed some prayer, and she said, you know... I am having a real hard time in viewing where the world is going today. And I'm nervous, and I'm scared, and I'm heartbroken. And when someone asks me a question, right, well, she says, aren't you worried too? And when someone asks me a question that gives me pause, I often respond in a question back to them. I think it enriches the conversation. I think it provides deeper clarity for myself. My husband would disagree. <laughs> um, but the question that I asked back to her was, aren't you less concerned about where the world is going and more concerned about where Christians are not? more concerned about with how we are characterized, how we've been labeled, how we've been categorized, where we haven't been the fruit that people think we bear. And, right, First Peter, it says that 
We're his special possession. We're a holy nation. We knew what it was like to not receive mercy, but now we know what is it like to have that mercy. So where is it? You know, I don't disagree that everything that's currently happening, what has happened, especially in the last few years, hasn't been heartbreaking. That's painful for me to watch as well. But for me, what has been the most painful is watching what's being squeezed out of people. The rage, the hatred, the discord, the selfish ambition when when we needed to see love, when we needed to see joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and above all, self-control. I think most grandparents, I will say, have this saying that it's straight from Ecclesiastes, right? There's nothing new under the sun. It actually, the verse is, we have, what has been again will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. I grew up hearing that time and time again. But what was supposed to be new after the resurrection? That, that's, well, that's us, that's you and me. The difference that we are to make as Christians is to bring newness to the world, is to show them this new creation, right? But that's no solitary activity. I don't become new and great and awesome by myself. I can't get up here before you any Sunday having not spent much time with him because all good things are impossible without him. So we commune with him so that he can shine through us so that when we're squeezed, he spills out. Romans 8, 11 through 14, it reminds us, Paul reminds us that, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God of God. So what should the resurrection mean for us today, church? Hope restored. I, um, as I mentioned earlier, my name is Bridget, (laughs) but my family, and they used to tell me it was Southern, but, you know, as an adult, I met many Southern people, and it's not true. Anyway, but they used to tell me that, um, no one really uses your first name, right? So I've always been referred to by my middle name. My family knows me so much so by my middle name that my wedding invitation had to have my middle name on it because no one was sure who Bridget was. (laughs) And if my mom has had this 
other daughter that they were not aware of. <laughs> so, so my middle name is Joy, and it's this running joke in my family that if ever there was a name more fitting to any kid ever, it was me, right? I have been, I, I, I love people and I love life. And so there really wasn't much that gets me down. Even today, there's not a whole lot that truly keeps me down. I am, I love um, good things and joy. So um, when I do have heartache, I don't have a whole lot of practice in it because I had not walked that a lot with God because I just chose to have joy. So when I was married and had a kiddo for a couple years, my husband and I used to look in the back seat and say, there's someone missing, right? So we wanted to have another kid. Um, that was the goal. That was the plan. I wanted like 18,000 children. I love kids. So <laughs> um, we, we were on this journey. And while being on this journey, um, I didn't think much about it, right? I come from a very large family. So the, the idea of infertility is not, not something that we don't talk about. It was actually the reverse. People would say people have too many kids. Like, when is your aunt going to stop having kids, right? Like, <laughs> that would have been the conversation, right? So for me, I, the idea of infertility was foreign. The first time we knew we were pregnant after our daughter, um, we lost that child. And as we journeyed through this with my doctor to understand what was happening, it became pretty apparent that that wasn't the first, that there were things that I mistook as delayed my friend visiting. And that was painful, right? In that moment, I felt hopeless. I couldn't control that. I, um, what was supposed to be a beautiful time, this expectancy of new life was shattered. I was on a different path, a lowly path that I didn't, I was, that was very foreign to me and, and it was heartbreaking. So I do what <clears throat> most Christians do when we are brokenhearted. We turn to scripture and looking for scriptures, not finding much solace. I started looking at the day after the resurrection so much differently, not trying to compare my loss to, of course, to our Jesus, but understanding how out of control and hopeless the apostles must have felt. To witness, new, to witness this new life being stripped from them, taken from them, had just been in Jerusalem days before, right? Fanfare, excitement, love, right? Like now, y'all, now you're going to see, everyone's going to see, everyone's excited, everyone's expectant. This expectancy of hope was taken away. Their prophet, our prophet, the prophet was gone. And 
they were expected just to continue on with life as if it was another day. So two of them begin their journey home, and we read in Luke 17, 24. It's pretty long, so I'm going to read um, from the phone. <laughs> As they were journeying home, right, we know, we know, most of us know the story of the road to Emmaus. Um, someone joined uh, Cleophas in their journey, right? So he, being Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, are you, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, what things? <laughs> about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it's just as the women had said. They did not see Jesus. I'm sure they wondered like I wonder, like my husband and I wonder, what point did all of this go wrong? What did they do to contribute to this nightmare? They were probably so focused inward on themselves, right? So hopeless and saddened that they couldn't even notice the Savior right there. He was walking with them. And they're chastising him. What do you mean with these? Where you been? Is this your first day? Like, <laughs> it's been a disaster is what it's been, right? And it wasn't until they sat down that evening after they talked more with Jesus. And they're like, oh, you should, you know, why don't you come back with us? It's fine, whatever, right? Very lackadaisical, like, sure, you can meet us. It wasn't until they were still that what happened, right? In Luke 24:31, prior to this, um, they had sat down and they were still. And Jesus broke bread. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> that is when they recognized him. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and their hope was restored. They had just told him on that walk that it was their hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. And Jesus was like, yeah, I'm still, I'm still that guy. <laughs> Don't turn away too quickly. But what else does resurrection mean for us, right? Well, it means also, along with this hope now, the courage was restored. 
I mean, I know we talk about the resurrection a lot, and I've talked about it most, right, most of my life. We all know the story, but I just, as I was preparing for today, I was just so taken aback by after everything, right, that had transpired, after everything that had happened, they returned to Jerusalem. That in itself is courageous because I feel like I would have been like, Jesus, this is so great you're back. I think we should maybe settle somewhere separate, right? I'm not sure if all those people have dissipated. So let's just give them some time and we'll come back. We'll circle back. We'll circle back, you know, a couple weeks, a couple years, never. <laughs> that would have been what I said. And we read all throughout scripture how they questioned him and they asked questions, but he said, He wanted them to go back. And they weren't frightened. We don't read that in scripture. We don't read that they were concerned about that. We read in Acts 1, verses 4 through 5, that again, he had just context. He had just appeared to them because Jesus was around for about 40 or so days after the resurrection, just showing up, you know, showing up. And he said during this moment that, While he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then after that moment, Jesus ascends into the heavens and they can no longer see him. And what's so cool, what really struck me too, not just them returning back to Jerusalem, but right, Jesus ascended and they're just looking, right? The same, just staring. They were staring for so long. Now, this is my interpretation, not NLV or ESV or message. This is Bridges' interpretation, right? They're standing for so long that I felt like Jesus was looked over to his angels and said, can y'all just go get them, right? So it says in scripture, two men dressed in white came down. And I can imagine, I love in the scripture that it was two men dressed in white, especially because I love movies, and we know what two men dressed in white means, right? We know as Christians as it's angels, but in movies, when two men come, people are doing something weird, maybe they need to go away, right? So so they're standing there, and I just imagine the angels being like, so what you doing? (laughs) What's happening, right? In scripture, it says that they're like, he's not there anymore, right? You can go. But they were so steadfast. They were now, they, they, this is their redeemer, so they're going to wait. They asked him to wait, and they remained. We have hope restored, courage restored. Lastly, the resurrection means a life restored. But it's not something that happens, right, instantaneously like the resurrection. Restorative life is a daily process, a daily connection with him, a daily work So in the time that we waited to try again for our second child, I had much fear. I didn't want to. I didn't even want to get my hopes up. 
So I tried, I spent a lot of time in prayer though, because I was so angry and daily I worked through this with God. Daily I worked to get my namesake back, right? To have joy again, to be who people once knew me, to be who, to be who God needed me to be okay in the pain, to be forgiving of myself. So I could once live again in joy, and I did. I, I finally got there, and it was wonderful with my one child. So when Evan asked me to speak this month, March, I was so excited because it's my favorite month of the entire year. And it's funny to say that in, in Ohio, it should be like, you know, June, July. <laughs> <laughs> Any other month with flowers? <laughs> but it, it's March, and it's March because it is the month that our second born was born. Like my middle name for my family held so much humor and laughter. Our son's middle name holds my journey. His middle name is Ellis, which means the Lord is my God. For when I, am, when I look at him, I'm reminded that I serve a good father who doesn't give up on me, even when I turn away from him, who meets me every single day, who waits for me, who works things out with me daily. And also when I look at him, <laughs> I'm reminded of who he was and how he entered this world. At a whopping 24 inches, 10 pounds, and 4 ounces, I'm also reminded that God is a God of abundance. <laughs> Amen. So when he comes to showing y'all, he shows out. <laughs> so the resurrection today is still as valid as it was more than 2,000 years ago. It means that he is not done creating a good work in us, and he's not done creating a new work through us.